This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hi, Calvary. Good to be with you today. My name's Perry. I'm part of the staff team at the Boulder campus. Hope you're enjoying all of those turkey leftovers, the sandwiches, the soup, the casserole. Hey, I want to share with you an experience that I had back when I was in college just a couple years ago. Well, who am I kidding? It was more than a couple years ago. But when I was in college, I had the opportunity to take a class on free fall parachuting. I got five free fall jumps and there was no static line. There was no experienced jumper that I was strapped to. It was a rush. And we had all kinds of hours and days on the ground trying to train, learning about emergency procedures, learning about our equipment, and especially about our form. Body position is really important when you're parachuting for the parachute to deploy the right way and open up the right way. So it was certainly at the front of our minds. I'll never forget the first jump. It turns out that no matter how much preparation you have on the ground, nothing can quite make you feel ready once you're up in the air. Just the the sensory overload of that moment, the smell of all of the aviation fuel, the sound of the engines, the feeling of the wind rushing by. And then of course, as soon as they open the door to the fuselage, it's just a rush. And when it was my turn to go, it's like I forgot everything that I had learned. Uh, I got out of the airplane and immediately my form was a struggle to maintain. It was really difficult to to be in the right position. We had trained for about 10 seconds of free fall and we could practically rehearse all of those 10 seconds in our sleep because we knew exactly what we were supposed to do. That's when we were on the ground. When I was in the air, it's like it all literally jumped out of the airplane with me and I struggled to maintain the right form. Now, I was okay on all five of my jumps, they were fine. But there was another student in my class who struggled even more than I did. And she had such a hard time with her form and with remembering anything that she even forgot to pull the rip cord. Now, fortunately, there was an automatic safety device that did it for her. But the point is, in that moment, all of the pressure, the stress, the fear of that moment made it so that we had forgotten our form. I wonder, what is the form of the Christian life? Well, we've in recent weeks been looking at a number of verses, and maybe this is your first time joining us, so you're not familiar with those. But let me just take a minute to jump through a few verses that I think help us see what the form of the Christian life is supposed to be. Chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul says this. You don't need to turn there. This will be on the screen. But he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice, And then he goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your, your request to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You hear that word repeated, not only the the word prayer, but the word thanksgiving. Thanksgiving seems to be the form of the Christian life. In fact, there's a danger in not being thankful. If you flipped back to Ephesians in uh, chapter five, verse four, Paul says this, 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Paul is writing about these behaviors that shouldn't even be named among us as Christians. And he has a contrast between those behaviors and thanksgiving, what our life should be marked by. And then last but not least, I know we're going fast here, but we're, we're getting someplace, trust me. In Romans chapter one, verse 21, Paul is talking about on a grand scale how humanity has rebelled against God. And he, he talks about that rebellion and he says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And he goes on and he writes about how their thoughts became just foolish. Their hearts were darkened and they eventually exchanged the glory of the one true God for images of the creation. They worshiped those images rather than the creator himself. So the lack of thanksgiving led to a situation where humanity pursued idols. Thanksgiving isn't just a nice to have kind of optional part of the Christian life. Thanksgiving is central. To be unthankful is like a poison to our faith. So Thanksgiving is the form of the Christian life. Here's a newsflash for you. 2020 has not exactly been the kind of year that inspires us to be thankful course, we could go through the list of things, whether it's COVID, social distancing, the isolation and loneliness that comes from those things. We could even mention the wildfires that swept through this area just recently. Think about the political unrest on a national scale, the division that seems to be in our culture over all of these issues. 2020 has been a difficult year for us to be thankful. So the question that we have to look at, how do we give thanks when life stinks? Well, to see an answer to that, we're going to actually flip back to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. If you have your Bible today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 77. If you have a device, go ahead and scroll there too. It'll be helpful to you if you can have the whole text in front of you. Psalm 77. We're going to hear from a man named Asaph. Asaph didn't live in 2020. But Asaph did know something about trouble. So let's look at his words here in verse one of Psalm 77. Here's what he says. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. There's also the little word there, Selah, that's going to be repeated throughout the psalm. We're not going to spend any time talking about that. That's a word that probably had something to do with it as a musical term or something that instructed them on their worship. But we're just going to um, ignore it for our purposes. The point is, though, we see that Asaph is in a difficult time. We don't know anything about his circumstances. We don't know what he's facing or struggling with. And it might be better that we don't, because if we did, we might see a difference between what he's experiencing in our own trouble. And we might just completely dismiss everything else he has to say. But what we do know about Asaph is that he's in what he calls the day of trouble. There's a label for our year, 2020, the year of trouble. 
What we can tell from Asaph is that he is in such a struggle that it's, it's something that plagues him night and day. Asaph is a man who seeks God. You see here in verse one that he cries aloud to God and he's confident that God will hear him. But by day, he, he seeks God. And by night, his hand is stretched out throughout the night without tiring. This is a picture of a man who is counting on God to come through for him. The only problem is God doesn't seem to be doing it. Let's read on. He says in verse four, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. See, Asaph right now is, is saying, I can't even sleep at night. And God, it's your fault. You're the one holding my eyelids open. I don't even know how to express myself because I can't even describe what I'm going through. He can't even articulate the situation he's facing. He can't even express his feelings. It's a desperate situation. And in that kind of place, Asaph begins to look over his shoulder to the better days that are now behind him. Can't we relate to this? Who doesn't look back to 2019 and think about how good things were in comparison to the way they are now? I mean, what restaurant doesn't want to get back to operating with all of its tables available and full and people on the waiting list? What hospital doesn't want to get back to treating patients who are not suffering from COVID? What school system doesn't want to get back to having all of its students in the classrooms and all of the extracurricular activities going on? What church doesn't want to get back to having all of its buildings open and all of its same activities going on where people can worship and fellowship throughout the week freely and in person? See, when we are facing the struggle that's in the present, in the moment, this is natural for us to want to look back to another time that's better in our own minds. And that's exactly where Asaph is right now. Asaph then moves here to, to verse six, the very end of verse six, where he says, then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Asaph is a man who trusts God and believes that God will hear him. Naturally looks at his situation and notices how God doesn't seem to be responding. So in that day of trouble... Asaph ultimately holds God responsible for his circumstances. And as he does that, he cannot help but begin to question God. See, God's character is actually on the stand right now. And these aren't just any questions that Asaph is asking. These aren't just random, arbitrary things that he's asking about. These questions actually go back to the very essence of who God has revealed himself to be you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 34, this is who God revealed himself to be to Moses. 
You don't need to turn there. But when Moses is on Mount Sinai, God reveals himself to Moses as being the Lord who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that verse is repeated throughout the Old Testament. This is who God is. This is who the one true king of the universe truly is. And as Asaph asks these questions, he's saying, really? Has your steadfast love forever ceased? Have your promises ended for all time? Have you forgotten to be gracious? You were slow to anger, but God, in your anger, have you shut up your compassion? See, this isn't just a struggle. This is becoming something that's dangerous for Asaph. I think we can probably understand what he's experiencing here. Asaph is actually in a crisis of faith right now. Asaph is in a moment where he's questioning God's very character, the goodness of God and God's very nature. Can I tell you something I love about God's word? I love the fact that God's word does not try to obscure or hide the day of trouble. I love the fact that it doesn't try to distract us from the reality of life and all that we face. In, in fact, it, it actually calls it out. It gives that kind of day of trouble a full display, a full view in front of our eyes so that we can see it. We know what it's like to experience this reality. We know what it's like to be in despair ourselves. And God's word is addressing it head on. But not only that, I also love the fact that God's word does not try to hide the fact that we might have a crisis of faith in our lives. I love the fact that that is on vivid display here with Asaph. I mean, up until this point, this could read like the story of Asaph, the man who lost his faith when trouble came. But here we see God's word actually presenting it to us. And we see that as Asaph is in this place of struggle, that all he can think about is that struggle. He's overwhelmed by it. He's overwhelmed by his own circumstances and his own condition. If you look back at the text that we've read so far, you'll notice the word I or me repeated over and over again. It's I cry aloud to God. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. My hand is stretched out. I moan, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled, I cannot speak. I consider the days of old. Let me remember my song in the night. Asaph is so fixated on his situation. And this happens to us whenever trouble comes. We can barely even see past it. It's like a dark cloud that descends beyond anything that we can get out of on our own. And in that moment, Asaph is self-focused, which makes Thanksgiving especially difficult. And as he questions God, Thanksgiving even becomes more difficult than that. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're, you're hearing all of this and thinking, wow, Perry, this is pretty heavy stuff. Like this has not been that bad for me. 2020 has not been that big of a problem. If that's you, that's okay. That's, count yourself blessed. That's great. There are other things that can keep us from being thankful though. It could just be the busyness of life. It could be how distracted we are with everything that we have going on so that we don't even have the, the headspace to even really reflect on and think about all that we should be thankful for. But I think some of you can probably relate to this day of trouble. 
you can understand what Asaph is going through because you're either in it right now or you've been in it recently. And if that's you, I just encourage you, let's look at how Asaph handles this moment because as he's in this crisis of faith, Asaph is going to lead us out of it in just a second. Let's read on. Asaph says this in verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the most of the right hand of the most high. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So Asaph, before all he could do was remember the better days that were behind him. And now he's remembering something of an even greater scale. He's remembering the deeds of the Lord. He's remembering God's wonders of old. And as he does that, his whole perspective begins to shift. See, it seems like Asaph has in mind a very specific event in the past, in history. If you look at his words here, and if you were to turn back to Exodus chapter 15, you would see some remarkable similarities. In Exodus 15, that's the chapter known as the Song of Moses. It's the song of thanksgiving and praise that Moses and all the Israelites sang right after God had delivered them through the Red Sea. They said, who is a God like our God? And that's exactly what Asaph is saying here. Who is a God like our God? The one who delivers us, the one who redeems us. Asaph is recalling something that is greater than his own situation. He's recalling the deeds of God from all of history. As we read on, he continues. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So Asaph now talks about these waters that God has control over. And he's, he's clearly pointing back to the early pages of the Bible, to the creation event itself, where God took the waters of chaos and he divided them, the, the top from the bottom to create the sky. And then he created the waters below, or he, he separated the waters below rather to form dry land so that life might be sustained and he would have a place for his animals and for humanity. Asaph is remembering those things. And it's as if Asaph is saying to himself, hey, look around. All that you see is a sign of God's mighty work. But then Asaph is continuing to think about the Exodus as well. He's thinking about when God parted the waters of the Red Sea so that he might bring his people and deliver them through. Notice also that as Asaph does this, as he remembers God's mighty deeds, He's also shifting his whole perspective. Notice that earlier on when he said, I, my, my um, trembling is before you. Now he's saying, look at how the waters saw you, O God. When the waters saw you, they were afraid. 
I will remember earlier the deeds of the Lord. I will remember the wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Asaph's perspective is shifted away from just dwelling on his own situation and circumstances. And now he's able to think about all of the mighty things that God has done. And not only that, but as he remembers the mighty things God has done, he also remembers that God has delivered his people through perilous times before. God is the one who led not just anyone, but he led the people of Israel through the waters. It's a historical event. We can even call out the names of Moses and Aaron and earlier of Jacob and Joseph. These are specific actions of God in history. So I think the key thing for us to learn from this is probably the fact that Asaph is remembering. Asaph is now remembering God's mighty deeds in the past. And as he remembers those things in the past, it's changing his view on the present day. I think we can learn that as we remember God's mighty deeds in the past, that it can begin to transform our own present day so that we can give thanks even in the day of trouble ourselves. Asaph is remembering these things and as he does, it transforms his perspective. We don't know how long the day of trouble lasted for Asaph. We don't know if it was days, weeks, months, or longer. And we have no indication here that he's even out of it yet. But what we do see is that his perspective shifts as soon as he remembers. Why is remembering so important? Well, quite simply, our memory fades. Like a tire our, our, that needs to be pumped up, our memory also deflates, it leaks, and we need to be reminded. C.S. Lewis put it this way in Mere Christianity. He says, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. That's what our memory is like. We have to continuously remind ourselves of what's true. And why is memory so important for Thanksgiving? Like one scholar has pointed out, when we remember, it's like sacred time travel. We bring the past into the present. And as we do that, we are reminded as of God's mighty deeds in the past. We're reminded of his character. We're reminded of the fact that he is present, that he is aware, that he is powerful. And we begin to, to apply those things to the present moment, the present trouble that we are in. As Asaph does that, his whole perspective shifts and it's like it becomes instinctive for him to give thanks. And as we do that, we can look for that as well, that as we begin to remember the past, that it will also transform our whole view of what God has done. But think of all that we have now to remember that Asaph didn't have access to himself. Asaph said that God delivered your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, but he left no footprints. His footprints were unseen. But you and I know that this same God who delivered his people but left no trace, no footprints, is the same God who left footprints all over Jerusalem and Nazareth and Capernaum and the countryside of Israel. We know that the same God who divided the waters in Genesis and divided the waters in the Exodus so that God's people could pass through them is the same God who in Mark chapter four 
calm the wind and the waves when Jesus and his disciples were out on the stormy sea of Galilee. We know as well that the same God who brought deliverance through the Exodus event then is the same God who brought an even greater deliverance at the cross and at the empty tomb. And it's that empty tomb that the apostle Paul writes about at length in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there Paul says, after writing about the the resurrection, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Think about that, the victory. Doesn't that sound sweet right now in this day? The victory. See, that victory is something that isn't fully realized yet. Of course, it's been accomplished for us because of what Christ did at Calvary, because of how he he defeated death and came out of the grave. But that victory is not something that you and I have yet experienced in its fullness. So in that sense, Paul is looking ahead. And I think there's something we can learn from that. Not only do we remember the past in order to give thanks in the present, Sounds weird, but we we even need to remember the future. Let me explain what I mean. We've talked a lot about the Exodus so far, but in Revelation chapter 15, there's another scene of Exodus. There's another scene of deliverance. It hasn't happened yet, but it's in the future. And instead of God's people standing by the Red Sea, this time they're standing by a different sea, a sea of glass. And It's described this way in John's vision. He says they are standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the almighty. Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is another exodus that has not occurred yet that you and I can look forward to in this present day because we know that this exodus in the future is just as sure as the exodus of long ago with Moses and Aaron. It's coming and we can, get, we can look forward to it and give thanks in this day. If you flip just a couple of pages over, to Revelation chapter 21. Just let this wash over your mind as you think about this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, nor COVID, nor loneliness, nor isolation, nor underemployment, nor a call to evacuate because a fire is headed towards your house. There will be no more of what has caused this day of trouble. Why? For the former things have passed away. 
See, we can remember the past to find hope, to give thanksgiving in, in the present, but we also need to remember the future that God has in store for us as well in order to give thanks in the present. In all, when we remember God's mighty deeds, we can give thanks in this day. There's a theologian named Scott Swain who, who talks about the heart and really the issue of thanksgiving has everything to do with the heart. And he describes how some people think of the heart as like a cup. And that cup is full of everything that might be going on in our lives right now, including all of the things we're dealing with today in the day of trouble. The anxiety, the stress, the pressure, the loneliness, the, the despair, the physical illness and struggle that we have. But the problem then is if we want to give thanks, we have to somehow get rid of everything in that cup. We have to somehow discard it all so that we can be thankful. A better analogy might be this, a balance scale. And on that balance scale, you have everything, everything that was in the day of trouble, all of the stress, all of the problems, all of the issues. We don't deny it. We don't try to imagine it away. We don't try to just distract ourselves from it. We account for all of it. And it's on one side of that balance scale. But on the other side of the balance scale is the counterweight. And on that side is all of God's mighty deeds, his character, his nature. See, we don't fully understand the day of trouble. We don't fully understand all that we're dealing with, all of the problems that come in the day of trouble until we have also accounted for God's mighty ways, his power, his might, and his nature. He is the God who is present. He is the God who is powerful. He is the God who is good and he is loving. When we remember these things, then we can properly understand the day of trouble. And as we do, we can give thanks to our good and gracious God. As we remember together, we can give thanks because we know we have a God who has done mighty things in the past, who has mighty things in store in the future. And we can trust him to work in mighty ways, even in our day even if for you this day is a day of trouble. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the grace that you give us on a continuous basis. And Lord, we ask for it right now in this moment. Father, we know that the form, the shape of our lives is supposed to be one of thanksgiving, but it can be so difficult. It can be so difficult when we face trouble, when we face trials. So God, we ask for your grace to be able to remember who you are, to be able to remember the mighty deeds of old and the mighty deeds that are in store for us as we look ahead to what you have already guaranteed for us. Lord, may those things just come to mind and may they seep down deep into our hearts and give us hope in this day. And God, would you just make us thankful regardless of the situation we're dealing with right now? Not thankful, Lord, for the problem, not thankful for um, just the turmoil and the strife we might be dealing with, but thankful that you are with us in the moment. Thankful, God, that you are more powerful than our circumstances and thankful for your love that sustains us through all things. We ask for this grace in our lives, Lord, and we pray it all in your powerful 
and holy name. Amen.